0: Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Gerald Brooks. Thank you so much for joining me for another podcast. I'm so grateful that you continue to tune in. And I'm also grateful that you go out of your way to tell other people about the podcast. Uh, This is now literally gone all around the world, various places that people are listening. And hey, let me just uh, take a moment and speak to those of you in North Carolina. In a few weeks, I'm doing a roundtable. And we're given a list of cities that people are listening to this in. And uh, there's just uh, a whole lot of Communities in North Carolina that are hearing this. And I'd love to meet you personally. And so if you could go to my webpage and uh, just uh, sign up and come to the Roundtable, I would love that opportunity. The Roundtable is one of those things that creates an opportunity for you to just learn and to grow. And I just want to encourage you to come. I also have Roundtables that are going to be in uh, Northern California. And so we want to encourage you to come and to be a part of any of those. Hey, today on this podcast, is going to be different than probably any podcast that I've done before. What I'm going to do is you're going to listen to a service that I did on a Wednesday night with my congregation. Now, the reason we're doing this is because of the feedback that I receive from people I respect a whole lot who heard this particular Wednesday night lesson they felt like it was one of those lessons that really resonated and created an eye-opening kind of moment. So let me set it up this way from a leadership standpoint. I believe very, very much that you can't lead if you won't pray. So if you won't pray, you just can't lead. I also believe that you can't lead long without prayer. So first, you can't lead if you won't pray. Secondly, you can't lead long without prayer. Thirdly, you can't lead well without prayer. So, number one, you can't lead if you won't pray. Number two, you can't lead without prayer. And number three, you can't lead well without prayer. And number four, you can't lead for God without prayer. Now, I need you to get the progression. If you're going to do this thing called leadership— I'm not talking about secular leadership. I've never been a secular leader. My whole life, I've been in this thing called uh, Christian leadership. But in Christian leadership, you can't lead if you don't pray. You can't lead long without prayer, and you can't lead well without prayer, and you can't lead for God without prayer, and I will add, number five, you can't lead a church without teaching others to pray. See, prayer is fundamental to the leadership journey if you are a person of faith. It is so fundamental that when Jesus talked about his father's house, he said that house will be called a house of prayer. Now, I know that you can go into most churches, and if you were to watch their activities on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis, you may not think that. But what I'm telling you is whether you think that or not, it is intended that church be a prayer center. And a part of that is just simply because you can't lead if you will not pray. You can't lead for long without prayer, and you cannot lead well without prayer, and you cannot lead for God without prayer, and you can't lead a church without teaching others on prayer. Now, with those five things being so, prayer is fundamental to every leadership life. And so if you're a leader, prayer is fundamental to what you do. Why? Because prayer tells us three important things about every leader. Prayer tells us what is important. If I want to know what's important in someone's life, I listen to them pray. If they pray for their family, I know their family's important. If they pray for their job, I know their job's important. If they pray for their health, I know their health is important. If they pray for someone else, I know that person is important. Prayer is the quickest way for us to distinguish what is important in someone's life. It not only tells you what's important, but it tells you what they Mm Value. See, prayer is a value statement. It tells us what people value. So if all they pray about is external things, then that's what's most important to them. But if they pray about internal things, then that's what's most important to them. If they pray just about problems, that is what's most important. But if they pray about uh, a progression of growth, that is what's most important to us. So prayer tells us what is important. Prayer tells us what you value and prayer tells us what's really on your heart. See, prayer is the ultimate way to get a glimpse on the inside of someone's life. So what you're about to hear is mean taking that prayer model and talking to other people about why we pray. Prayer is one of those things that unfortunately is widely known, but seldom done. To the degree of teaching that is on prayer, it does not match the amount of time that people do pray. So why is it that people know to pray, but they don't pray? That's going to be fundamental to this lesson. Let me also interject this. I'm talking to my congregation. This lesson is wrapped in grace. That's the name of our church. And so you're going to hear some things that I seldom do on a leadership podcast. You're going to see a little bit of the inward working of how I approach our congregation and our church. So when you hear that, Don't let the model be what is important. Let the message on prayer be what's important. And with all that being said, at the very beginning of this, you're going to hear me talk about something and you're going to scratch your head. See, last year when I had my birthday and I'm getting older, there's a very well-known cosmetic company that's headquarters is near our church And a lot of the ladies that work for them, what they did was they got me anti-aging cream. They were trying to slow down what obviously they are seeing. So that's a little background when you hear that statement. Hey, again, if you're in North Carolina, join me for the roundtable. To the rest of you, thank you so much for listening to the following lesson. I want to start by just saying thank you. Thank you for being here. And I'm just going to say thank you for being here for the next four weeks. Because we can't do what I believe God wants to do on Easter without people being here on Wednesday. I was on a plane, which seems to be a frequent place that I am, and I just began to ask myself questions. Why is it that it seems like people who know they're supposed to pray don't pray? And why is it that in a world where every day that you look around, there's not a shortage of reasons to pray, but people don't pray? I don't think it's because people lack the knowledge that we're supposed to pray. I think people pretty well know that we're supposed to pray. But I don't think people really know why their prayers are so important. Why from a spiritual and biblical and heavenly viewpoint, the prayers we pray are so important. I don't know how long it will take us because I don't know how deep we'll dig down into some of the thoughts. But I want to walk you through why your prayers matter. And why your prayers matter, even when you think they don't matter. And why your prayers are important, even when you feel like, I'm not doing anything when I pray. I don't feel any different. Nothing seems to change. Nothing seems to be any different. Everything seems the same. In fact, when I turn on the news, if anything, it seems worse. So why should I really pray? I know it's one of those church things, but why should it be my thing? I want to walk you through why we must pray. Now, you've got to understand uh, that in ministry, I'm in what would be called the fourth term. There are four phases to ministry. I can't talk about insurance. I can't talk about architecture. I can't talk about anything else. All I've ever done is ministry. But there are four phases. And I'm in the fourth phase. In fact, if you were going to look at a racetrack, I would be making that fourth turn. That's where I am. I know some of you give me anti aging cream, but it hasn't changed anything. <laughs> I'm still there. I'm still in that fourth phase, no matter how much anti age I put on. I'm still there. But I think because I'm there, I can say there's never been a time in my life where I believed in why I must pray, and why you must pray, and why churches must pray, and I believe it more today than I've ever had in the 42 years that I've been in ministry. So let me walk you through. The first reason that you've got to pray is this. Prayer is the legal means whereby God interacts in this world. A planet in which the devil was given dominion and authority by the sin and the actions of a man named Adam. So, why is it that God needs you to pray? Why is it that God needs me to pray? Why is it that God needs us to pray? Is because prayer is the legal means, whereby God above interacts in this world below, a planet in this universe, which the devil was given dominion and authority over by the sin of Adam. Now, I say that to you because I believe that most Christians don't understand the dispensation. Of this earth. They don't understand the disposition of this earth. They just think that there's God and there's this earth. And they don't understand that God is a just God. How many of you have ever heard that phrase, that God is a just God? For God to be a just God, that means that whatever He does, He does legally. He does it based on legal precedent and legal measure based on the laws that were set up for this planet. So whatever God does, he has to do it by legal means. Because he is a just God. Now see, we want to focus on he's a merciful God. And he is a merciful God but he is a merciful and a just God. In fact, in the Old Testament and New Testament, there's two verses that are so interesting because it says mercy and justice have kissed. You talk about a date that would have never been set up on any dating app in our world today. You get mercy over there and you get justice over there. Mercy thinks well, I'm going to be merciful and justice is going to say, no, I'm going to be just, but God's both. He's a merciful God and He's a just God. And because He's a just God, He displays His mercy legally. But for Him to do that, He has to have a legal reason to do it. And the reason your prayers are important and my prayers are important is it gives God the legal reason to intervene in a planet that he was kicked out of because he gave authority to a man named Adam and Eve, and because he gave authority to them, they made a decision to violate that authority and give it over to the devil. And because of that, this world does not lie under the direct influence of God. It lies under the influence of the devil. Now, we know that throughout the Bible, and we know it in one clear verse, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 8. Because in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 8, we deal with the three temptations when Jesus was tempted by the devil. And in verse 8, we have this particular temptation. It says the devil took him up and he showed them all the kingdoms of this world. So whatever the kingdoms were, the Roman kingdom, uh, the barbaric kingdom, all the kingdoms that existed at that time, anything that man had built, he showed them all of this and he said, I'll give this to you. If you just... Worship me. I'll give it to you. Now, the fact that that was a temptation declares that that was true. That all of the kingdoms, everything in the domain of man, was under the devil's authority. It wouldn't have been a temptation if that weren't true. It's like tempting me with the thought that I'm going to get pregnant. I'm not going to get pregnant because I'm incapable of getting pregnant. For a temptation to be a temptation, it has to exist that it's a possibility. So when Jesus was shown all the kingdoms of this world, he was tempted. You know why? Because everyone in that, those kingdoms, he was coming to die for. He was given a chance to fulfill his mission without dying. That's the reason it was a temptation. The devil offered him the exact thing that he wanted all the people in the world, based on one condition that you wouldn't worship God, but you would worship him. So, one of the things is that you have to understand the disposition of this world. And the disposition of this world is that it lies within the domain of the powers of darkness right now. Now, it won't always be there, but for right now, for this time, for this place, and mankind's history, that is where it lies. And therefore, since it lies in his domain, there is only one way that God can intervene, and that is if people ask him. Because the Bible says in James chapter 4 and verse 2, you have not because you ask not. And is God just sitting there up there saying, hey, you know, I know, you know, I'm God. I know you have need of all these things, but I'm not going to do anything till you ask me. Please say please. The reason he has to be asked is the only ones that have authority on this earth besides the powers of darkness are people. We have a right within the domain of our lives to ask for the legal involvement of God in a world that is filled with darkness. And so the disposition of this world says that without a legal means, God being merciful but being just, being both of those things that he wants to display his mercy, but he has to do it through a just way, that happens when you pray. When you pray, you give God, through your words, no matter how inadequate you feel those words are, you give God the right to intervene. You give him access. In Second Corinthians chapter four and verse four, Paul talking about things that were going on, it says, "In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, which believe not. Notice what he's called. He's called the God of this world. He's not the God of everything. He's the God of this world. For this period of time that we live in, he is the God of this world. He hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So people who say, well, I don't believe that there's a God. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe. How has that happened? They live in a world where the God of this world has sought to blind them. Why? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The devil doesn't want anyone seeing who Jesus is. He doesn't want anyone seeing. Because the minute someone sees who Jesus is, that person's going to decide, well, I got an option here. I got this or I've got this, and I'm going to choose this. But what our prayers do is it gives God an opportunity to show Jesus to people who've never seen Him before. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says, according to the course of this world, I want you to imagine a river that is flowing. It has a certain course, a certain direction that it flows. It's flowing that way. We know until you get to the continental divide that the rivers flow to the east. We know when you get on the other side, they flow to the west. There's a natural course that they take. It says that according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, this world, the air that surrounds this world, the atmosphere of this world. It lies under the dominion of an adversary who wants to blind the minds of people lest they believe. But in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 19, God tells us how we can make a difference in this world. He says, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven... And whatsoever you shall bind on earth, it shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He said people down here on earth influence what heaven can do down here. People down here on earth. He didn't say what's bound in heaven will be bound in earth. It says what's bound in earth that's going to precipitate what heaven does your prayers are important because without your prayers some things cannot happen people sit there and say well i want the will of god jesus taught it in the lord's prayer when he said pray after this thy kingdom come in earth as it is in heaven earth always precedes heaven in prayer So on that day that you feel dead tired, on that day that you feel like God's not going to listen to me, on that day that you feel like there's no reason I should pray, on that day when you feel like there's absolutely no purpose in your prayers, you remember that when earth moves, heaven will move. And people always say, well, why isn't God doing more? How many people do you know continually pray? I'm amazed at how much God does do. Because he's waiting on us to pray, he's waiting on us to ask, he's waiting on us. He's waiting for us to say, the way things are in heaven, we want those down here. You know, we're going to bind on earth, we're going to loose on earth, and then heaven's going to react. See, everybody's sitting back waiting for God, but God created this world with an authority system in it, that authority was given to man, and it requires someone in an earth suit to engage heaven. Someone says, well, what's an earth suit? It's like a space suit. If you're going to operate in space, you know what you need? You need a space suit. If you're going to operate down here, you need an earth suit. you got to have a physical body. That's our earth suit. And when someone down here in an earth suit begins to plead to God, it gives God the legal means to invade a world in which his authority was rejected and begin to administer his authority. He gets to be merciful in a just way. So it doesn't matter that you're tired. It doesn't matter what your schedule is. It doesn't matter that you're busy. It doesn't matter. There are people who will never see heaven without our prayers. People always ask me, why is this so important on Wednesday night to you? Why haven't you shut it down like every other church in the world has? Because I don't have another time to get a group of people together to pray the same thing, to open up opportunities for heaven to begin to show up down here on earth but on Wednesday nights we do that we ask that that God will do something that the finest moment in our church will always be our altar calls someone says well what if we just get justice in this world I can get total justice in this world and still watch people go to hell I want to get people to heaven I want to get people beyond this life into that life. And it's only going to happen because this world will blind them. It'll get them so blinded by busyness, so blinded by money, so blinded by the bad news around them. It'll blind them by whatever will blind them so that they don't see the light of the glorious gospel unless someone prays and God, who is a just God, displays mercy in a world that's unjust. And so, when the Bible says you have not because you ask not, we're just sitting there, well, that doesn't make any sense. And if the Bible says God knows you have need of these things before you ask them, well, if He's a good God, why do I even need to ask Him? Why isn't He doing it? Because the disposition of this world changed in Genesis 3. And can I tell you pretty well, every question I ever get asked about why is this world is because someone doesn't understand Genesis 3 pretty well. Every question that I ever get asked, it's because, hey, could I tell them there would be no Genesis 4, there'd be no Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John if Genesis 3 hadn't. Everything that you read from that point on is the fact that this world was thrown into utter uh, destruction because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. This world happened as we know it. And so when people say, well, why are there wars? Genesis 3. Chapter 3. Well, why is there deformity? Genesis 3. Why is there hate? Genesis 3. Why is this world messed up? Genesis 3. It all started there. Well, why doesn't God do something about it? He has. He's given us the right to pray. God moves in proportion to our prayers. And based on your prayer life, are you surprised God's moving? but if I can get a group of people who for four weeks will come together and pray, who will say, I'm not going to be too tired, I'm not going to be too busy, I'm not going to do, I'm going to give God the legal means to begin to operate it among blinded people so that they can see the light of the glorious gospel. Jesus said, if any two of you shall agree, on earth is touching anything. It shall be done of the Father in heaven. What comes first? The earth. If any two of you agree. If down here on earth, earth will do something, people with their suits, if they'll pray, if they'll do something, it'll be done by the Father. Our schedules don't let us pray. Our bodies don't want us to pray. Our minds don't get prayer. We get together and we don't know people around us, so we just don't pray. We don't understand that prayer gives God the legal means to intervene in a planet. And if you don't pray, you've cut off one of the means for God to move. So that's why when we pray, it changes everything. It creates opportunities for heaven that would not exist. It creates moments for God that do not exist without God being a part of it. The second reason that you need to pray is that prayer is how we resist the work of the devil who is set on the destruction of everything and everyone. It's not only that this world lies within a dominion of darkness, but that darkness has a very clear plan, and that is the destruction of everything and everyone. So here's what Christians like to do: we like to quote the verse that we're sin doth abound, grace doth much more. You know what we hear? Grace much more. You know the first part of that says sin abounds. So, every time you see meaningless death on this planet, you see someone doing something that makes totally no sense on any kind of perspective, you say, where does that come from? It comes from that there's a planet work in this planet. And Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief comes. Now, here's the difference between God and the devil. A thief doesn't ask for a legal way to get in anywhere. A thief doesn't knock on the door. They break in the door. Yeah. He's not just. And it says, the thief cometh not, but for to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the plan. Every day I wake up in a world where there's a plan... Set against me, set against my family, set against everyone I love and everything I love, everything I believe that's at work. I live in a world that no matter what you want to say the, the, the means of it is, there's a plan in place to steal everything that I have, to kill everything that I've dreamed, and to destroy. But you know what? Every day you wake up in that world... You wake up in a world that has an active plan in place. Someone says, well, that scares me. Well, you've been seeing the results of it long before you were theologically scared. But it's happening. And so Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles, the strategies, the plans, the schemes, the devices of the devil. Why? Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. No, it's not liberal and conservative. That's not what we war with. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. When you pray, you obstruct the plan of this world. That's why your prayers are important. Your prayers are important because every time you pray, you're obstructing the plan that surrounds me every day, that surrounds you. And so what God says is, is that our faith, that's what he's going to go on and say in verses 16 and 17, it quenches every dart of the evil one. But we have to put our faith out there. So when I pray, so that's why when I taught them five things parents need to pray for their kid, there's never been a day that I haven't prayed for my kids. This world's hard enough when you have faith out there. Can you imagine if you don't have faith out there? This world's hard enough when you are praying. Can you imagine if you weren't praying? I mean, let's just be honest. In Texas, we'd call us roadkill. I mean, it's hard, but the reason we pray is that we understand that there is an organized system out there that is intent on stealing, killing, and destroying. So every day we pray. So we pray the promise of God. We let our faith be bigger than anything this life can do. And we let our faith begin to engage. I think most people don't pray because they don't know why we pray. We pray because we want to give God a legal means to intervene in a world that He has no means to do and He will not violate His basic nature of justice. He gave mankind authority to do with this world what they wanted and the one thing He asked them not to do they did and because of that a system came involved which was to still kill and destroy and so what we know is there are opportunities heaven wants to have down here on earth that don't happen unless we pray and there are things that will happen on earth that won't happen if we pray So that's why we pray to give heaven opportunities down here on earth. And then people turn around and they say, Well, why did Jesus need to become flesh? Why did he need a physical body? Because you don't have authority in this earth unless you have an earth suit. It's the body that gives you the right to function in this earth. So he needed a body. That's why when it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father, why that was so critical. So when we celebrate Christmas, what we're saying is heaven found a way in when no one thought it could find a way. Most people read the Bible because they want to find God's mercy. You become a responsible Christian when you understand God's justice. When you understand. In Ezekiel 22 and verse 30, it says that God sought for a man. A person. He's talking about mankind. He's not talking male or female. He's talking about mankind. He sought for a person in mankind. Says he sought for a person. Why did God seek for a person? He was trying to find a legal way into the circumstance. And he sought for a person who would stand in the gap. Now, what is the gap? Gap is distance. Gap is the distance from this place to that place. But in God's mind, the gap was between heaven and earth. He sought for a man. See, people are always seeking God, but God's seeking people. He's seeking people that will pray. He's seeking people who will understand the power of prayer. He's seeking people who will understand the dimensions of prayer. He's seeking people who will understand that they will pray prayers that they feel are never answered. But when they get to heaven, they will then and then only see the results. So can you pray in a world where you will not see the ramifications of your prayers until you're in heaven? That's why prayer is hard. We don't see what our prayers are doing. But God says, without your prayers, there's things that can't get done. So can you have faith in God that he's doing things even when you will not see the results this side of heaven? See, I'm convinced that when we get to heaven, there will be people who came and they've been a part of our Wednesday night service week after week, because we're always going to pray. It may be five minutes of prayer, it may be 10 minutes of prayer, but when they get to heaven, it's going to be peeled back and they're going to see, you know what, all those boring Wednesday night services I went to, this is what happened. So can you come on Wednesday nights for four weeks and pray and know that we may never see until heaven? Because there's two times this world will stop and let us tell our story. Christmas and Easter. It expects us to tell our story. So if we have two windows where they expect us, let's us ask God to do something that's beyond what they expect.